welcome to Try Talking Sport, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and a little bit of entertainment. I cannot believe we are into the final week of August. Time is simply flying by. I hope you've been keeping busy and well since the last episode of the show. Did you set some new goals and challenges for yourself since the last episode? If not, this week is as good a time as any to look at what you can do in the month of September. This time of year for me always feels like a mini new year. I think it's that association with maybe going back to school. Speaking of goals, my big swimming goal for the month was slightly sidetracked as unfortunately I picked up an ear infection that saw my daily dips in swimming in Galway Bay stopped for seven days. Thankfully, I am back on track and have just over 17 kilometres completed of my Galway Bay virtual challenge to swim 26k during the month of August in the open water in Togs. To be honest, I still haven't pulled my wetsuit out of the garage. Little bit of pressure this week to get it done, but that's part of the fun of this goal. The weather hasn't helped, but a few double swims this week should see me cross the line by next Monday, hopefully. This week's guest of the podcast is Katrina Matthews, the British Army physiotherapist and BMC V-Fit athlete, has blazed a trail in triathlon since taking up the sport just a few years ago. As an amateur athlete, she excelled quickly, with numerous titles and wins under her belt. She joined the professional ranks of triathlon in 2019, a little earlier than even she expected, after a superb performance at Challenge Grand Canaria, finishing as first amateur and second overall on the day. Jumping right in and embracing life as a pro triathlete, she has already proven herself as one to watch. Her debut Ironman in Australia saw her take fourth place with a sub nine hour finish in a time of eight hours, 53 minutes. On the back of her podium finishes in Staffordshire, Finland and Weymouth Ironman 70.3 races and a 16th place finish at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in Nice of last year. The ETU Elite Middle Distance Champion of 2019 added a British national cycling title to her trophy cabinet last week, winning the 100-mile time trial in a time of 3 hours, 55 and 22 seconds. With a positive can-do attitude, her passion for her profession as both an athlete and a physiotherapist shine through in this episode. She has set some lofty goals for herself in the past and has well exceeded them. Her goals for 2021 and beyond are well within her reach. We can expect to see a lot more from Katrina Matthews in the future. Enjoy the show. Katrina Matthews, thank you so much for joining me on Try Talking Sport this week. It's great to see you and catch up. I think the last time I saw you was in Weymouth in 2019. Yeah. Hi, Joe. Yeah, it's really good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Weymouth feels like a long time ago. And so much has happened just in life as well. <laughs> so tell us, what have you been at since Weymouth? Because I know you have won the Ironman uh, VR18 and you were also crowned the National Time Trial Championships last weekend in the UK. So you've been a busy lady. Yeah, I mean, right back to Weymouth was September last year. Um, I just come back from the World Champ 70.3, which I wasn't really expecting to qualify for as a pro um, so quickly on. Uh, but just did that, did Weymouth. And then in that sort of couple of weeks before Nice, I had decided to enter an Ironman. So my first full one. So I did that in December. Um, that went really well. Definitely should probably mention the wedding in November before that. And then <laughs> just in case you get into any trouble. <laughs> He won't mind. I think he sees my Iron Man as more important than our wedding anyway. But no. um, yeah, and then was gearing up really nicely for um, Challenge to Lou in March. Uh, and then a uh, big 
pandemic. So um, I've been sort of settling into training as best I can and then just really enjoying actually the I've had the opportunity through the army to just have that time because we're not racing to just genuinely just get better so um just train 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 and focus on that while we've been in the lockdown period um very fortunate in that aspect I know um and so I'm actually really looking forward to racing now so we've had this yeah, the other 100 mile and the VR and then a few other you know sort of Strava um let's go out and see how fast you can do a 5k sort of things but um hopefully I'm racing in Tallinn in a couple of weeks Tallinn in Estonia yeah it seems to be one of the very few Ironman races that seem to still be on schedule thankfully for 2020 yeah, it's technically the first Ironman branded event, I think. And there's a pro 70.3 alongside the, um, you know, the main Ironman. And they're being very positive. But I think the race will go ahead no matter what. But it will be whether people can travel and how they then have to sacrifice their time in terms of making sure that they abide by the isolation rules after they come back as well. So we shall see. But you had a you had a great, I suppose, not a breakthrough year is probably not the way to say it, because you were doing really well in 2018. But- 2019 you just seemed to come from nowhere and then suddenly were on podiums at every race that you completed yeah I mean I did my first age group so my first race of 2019 was the Gran Canaria challenge middle distance and I put down in like performance wise what I had hoped for in terms of numbers that I'd been training for over the winter um but it was good enough to take the top spot in, in the amateur competition and then also time-wise to come just behind Emma Pallant a couple of minutes so it yeah it, it gave me that automatic qualification for the pro license and I just joined um, Team Free Speed and I was really set up for a whole you know a whole year a whole season of really committing to the age group you know doing really well I qualified for Nice in my age group and I was you know really looking forward to the year so that was a bit of a shocker because I had that decision point to make do I do I go pro or you know take up the professional license or do I just commit to being you know the best age group I am because at this point I had also just found out that the army was going to support me to train full-time so I had a tough decision to make but at the same time I knew from that result in uh, Gran Canaria that I was definitely good enough it wasn't just an ad hoc result um, and I think that that was quite key for me um, plus I had the time to train full time so I needed to give it a proper go so yeah just made the jump um, and then raced Stafford I think it was five weeks later uh, as my first pro race and I was so I was so pumped in that race to um, I guess to prove myself in the professional ranks and also I had already booked my accommodation for Nice as an age grouper so in my head I was like I've already booked the accommodation I need to qualify it was going to be a massive long shot but I knew that third would get me a qualification slot so I think I ran down to get into third in the last couple of k I think um really just basically I just ran down the hills really really fast and took a lot of time out of the person in front of me so yeah it was definitely a breakthrough it was a very exciting race if memory serves me right I think Lucy Charles Barkley was there and Emma Pallant and then yourself in third as well and there was great excitement on the finish line uh, with the three of you coming in because you were quite close together um I can't remember the time I think it was all it was it was a good race definitely um I wasn't um challenging Lucy Emma for those for the first or second but to get third I was really chuffed with um I think actually the the sort of getting on the podium with those two in my first pro race was probably 
just as equally as motivating as you know qualifying for Nice um, which is a bit sad really but yeah <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't think so at all I think it's um, I think it's a great testament to, to where you've come from in terms of you know your age group results and then stepping up to that uh, professional license but I want to go back a bit Kat because I'd love to know where this all came from like where did Katrina Rye who's now Katrina Matthews get started in sport and where has this passion for triathlon come from? Uh, so I was always an active kid. Um, my father was in the Royal Marines and my mum used to be in the army and then she was also a runner. So I did a lot of um, just general activity. We did a lot of orienteering as a, as kids, um, me and my older brother, um, as every holiday, um, you know, Wales, Scotland. And I also did swimming lessons and swam in the local club just a couple of times a week. So all through school, I did sort of cross-country running. Um, I played a lot of hockey. I was playing National League at sort of 17, 18 before I went to uni. Uh, and also like regional level basketball. Love basketball so much. Um, but yeah, swimming, I w- I had kept going all the way through school, which I think has obviously been really key. Um, even I was only swimming three hours a week, but still it was enough to... I haven't got back to how good I was then. I think I was swimming maybe, a, I think my PB was like a 104 for a 100 meter freestyle. So I'm still trying to get back to where I was as a kid, which is frustrating. Um, and then, yeah, did loads of running. I did cross country. So I, I narrowly missed out on the national cross country team. So there's definitely an element of, I used to be like relatively good, but spread my spread my sort of efforts as a child um which I think is actually the best way um I'm really pleased about that and um had a gap year got pretty fat didn't do any exercise came back had a place to do at physio at Cardiff and I was like oh you know maybe I'll do a little bit more exercise and so I actually did my first ever triathlon before I went to university um but I I borrowed a bike from someone down the road and I think I did it in a raincoat and it was one of those pool ones where so you're not quite sure what's going on so that's technically my first ever triathlon but I decided it was way too much effort at uni to be in the triathlon sphere and way more sociable to play hockey so went back playing hockey and then so that was sort of I played that first first team Cardiff um we were we were pretty good um but also quite sociable no one took themselves too seriously which was really nice when I finished uni I then um join the army and that was my first job in the army was at Headley Court the rehab centre so it's basically my dream job as a physio and they also had a swimming pool there so this is 2015 by then and I was like well I might as well swim I think I had like maybe 50 or 60 steps out of my bedroom to the swimming pool and then I could get to work within 30 seconds or something it was all in one sort of complex and so started swimming and I think at that point I was maybe doing right I'm going to do 10 times 100 meters and then just get out like that was that was a decent set for me so swimming I just very slowly started back up and then I had a road bike that I'd use as my little commuting bike while I was at uni for I think we bought it two three hundred pounds or something second hand third hand probably from the local bike shop and I started um going out for a few cycle rides on that but barely I barely cycled I just used the what bikes in the gym and then I did my first like I would say like my first actual proper triathlon within the sort of army race um circuit and did really well so I was like oh this is cool so and then that sort of motivated me to be like okay I'm gonna start actually training for this um so that's the that's the precursor to getting into triathlon you raced across sprint olympic for a couple of years locally kind of thing and within the army group as well and then you moved up to 70.3 distance yeah so the first two years um two and a half three I did 
um, the sort of standard distance. And once I'd done a couple of races in the um, sort of local, like the local races, I just had a little Google about, you know, what what people do in triathlon. Like I didn't know where you go because obviously I couldn't go to the Olympics. So where what's you know what do normal people do and um I found the GBH group races and uh so I entered a couple of those and qualified for the Europeans and the Worlds which obviously is like the same year and then the next year um I actually broke my wrist uh before the Europeans so I was swimming in that race in I don't know when it was 2017 with like zinc oxide all the way around my wrist because I couldn't basically I, I worked out that I could I could use my tri bike and I would risk the amount of times it was maybe a little bit dangerous, but it wasn't. I was safe. Yeah, so that wasn't great. And then a couple of months later, I did the world's ITU standard distance in Rotterdam that year. And that was really fun. And I ran a sub 40 10K and I was like, I was just so, so chuffed. And I wasn't actually going to go into middle distance. Honestly, at this point, it's only a couple of years ago, I, I thought the idea of doing middle distance and, and Ironman was absolutely bonkers. I had absolutely no intention of it at all. So I entered the British age group champs in 2018. Um, so that's what I was training for all of that winter. And then Classic Army, which is amazing. They were like, we want you to go to Canada for four months. And it was over that race. And so I'd spent four or five months just in my sort of normal day to day job, physio, you know, eight till five and then doing training either side and at lunchtime sometimes. And then suddenly it was like, no, you can't do that race that you've been training for. And and I was like, Woof. you know, it was really quite stressful. I didn't realise how quite obsessed that you get over, um, over goals like that when you've put so many hours into it. And so I obviously jumped at the chance to go to Canada because it was, again, an absolute dream to do physio out there. Um, and while I was out there, I noticed after a couple of weeks that there was a 7.3 race in Calgary, which is two hours down the road. So that was me saying, well, if I can't do the British champs, I'm just going to do a middle distance instead and I managed to persuade a couple of people who were out there with me just for those four months to do do as well they had never done triathlon before um so two of them were like yeah sure we'll do it and I think the guy there's a guy and a girl um the guy was definitely thought he could beat me and so there was a little bit of um right okay let's get <laughs> training for this <laughs> and then you went on um you did calorie and you won yeah, I mean, I actually won the overall event because there was no um, there was no pros. Took the overall age group too. Uh, I think a couple of the guys beat me, <laughs> but um, I actually had had a really bad bad um, time over that last was it two months before that race. So Calgary must have been maybe June July of 2018. Um, in May in May when I just got out to Canada it was just just before Canada. Um, I picked up a sort of overload injury in my knee that meant I genuinely I couldn't swim bike or run I couldn't get down the stairs I couldn't walk to the shops without being in like genuine sort of like real discomfort and pain um local swelling and couldn't kick couldn't swim with a pool boy couldn't do anything and it was driving me crazy and so when I went out to Canada I had that whole sort of like semi you know um identity thing of being like well I know I am a fit individual but I've I can't do any exercise at the moment. Um, it was, again, just quite a stressful period. But I was lucky enough that I had a gym on site and so just really committed to rehab. And before that middle distance, I had got back to swimming and I'd got back to cycling. I'd done maybe 30 minutes, then I did 40 minutes, then I did 50, you know, like really steady build. And I'd done two or three runs because classic physio in getting um, – 
athlete not physio should know better in getting back to running I then pulled my calf I had no running no running at all that has given me so much confidence for like life now is if you do pick up those little running injuries you can stay so fit by gym work and your CV on the bike um so yeah I went into that I think I ran like a 130 which for me at the time I was like oh that'll do no no run training really so I was really pleased with that and it wasn't too bad so how did you deal with the mental aspect of that? Because, you know, being a fit individual, you mentioned they're losing a bit of your identity or you have that identity of being a fit individual, but suddenly you're injured. But it's actually daily activity you couldn't do, never mind training activity. So how do you deal with that setback from a mental perspective? Yeah, um, at the time, you just get through it, don't you, in terms of dealing with it. I don't think I employed any specific strategies, but I just... I really took a step back and thought, sort of took, looked at the bigger picture. I gave myself, right, in three months' time, that's where I want to be, not worrying about that day or worrying about that week. So I, I first, I asked for help. <laughs> so I went to the doctor and I got some, um, you know, anti-inflammatory medication. I went to the physio and I got a brace. And at that time, I needed a brace to support my knee. Um, and I committed to not just ignoring it and walking on it as so I'd, as little as possible. Um, and I treated it like a proper injury. And I think sometimes we're we're guilty of just ignoring it if it's not bad enough or it's not, you know, you haven't got a diagnosis. But if you can't, if it stops you doing something, then that's something you need to, you know, sort out. Um, and then the mental side of it, it was really hard. It was because, like I said, of the turning up to somewhere new, making friends and you don't have that, oh, yeah, you know, let's go for a run or what are you doing this evening? And I'm like, well, I'm just going to the gym because I can't do anything. Um, but I think again yeah just long-term goals and the idea I think a lot of people have said it recently it's just focusing on what you can do and so I decided that I was going to do x y and z um in terms of exercises and I was going to get stronger in those and then that ultimately would make me sort of better again so as long as I focused on getting stronger at those specific things that then would in turn would get me fitter in the long term. And when the shoe was on the other foot, because obviously you were giving advice to your patients, are you a good patient when the shoe was on the other foot? <laughs> no. And it's actually quite hard as a physio to to preach to somebody and then they're like, oh, and they realise you're injured as well. It's a sort of, um, it's one of those things. Um, but I've come to learn that an injury is inevitable um, in this in any sport, especially with running. Uh, injury is inevitable and you can try and mitigate against it, but it is going to happen. Um, and if you're actually training on on the line, um, so if you're never injured, potentially you're never actually trying to find, you know, where your limit is, which is great if you just want to be happy and train all the time. Bro. So do I practice what I preach? Probably not. Um, but I definitely utilise some of those like skills to have that reflection and say, no, I'm going to do this. Um, but it's hard when you've got all of the information in front of you. It's hard to say this is the right thing to do because there's so many options. Um, so I do rely on other people to 
remind me that no you should do this even though I know I should it's you sometimes just need to be told I think and that's that's where the whole physio you know or um, mentor or coach is really useful in triathlon. And it's about the accountability as well I think because we can self-regulate so far and be motivated to a certain point but when you've got somebody maybe looking over your shoulder or looking at things or telling you to do something um, or you know as an athlete that you've got a physio appointment in a week's time and you haven't done the stretching and things like that that they've told you to do you know you'll probably do them it's like doing your homework oh absolutely and that's something that I've had I've always had really good communication with my coach of that like he's he's let me guide my own sort of S&C program as such but even the other day he was like Kat I I think you should um you know you should start noting down on training peaks when you're doing these mobility and when you're doing these strengths because what have you actually done over the last <laughs> month and I've been like hmm uh nothing <laughs> So, yeah, it's the accountabilities. It's so useful. But it's the one I, I think that the strength and conditioning piece is the bit that none of us really want to do. I thought it was just me. But, you know, that stretching and foam rolling and all the physio bits and pieces that will was get some of those marginal gains for racing, but also keep us in peak performance that we'll happily put on our runners, our, our togs, our, our bike gear and go do swim, bike or run, but then take 20 minutes out to do stretching and rolling and you just won't do it. Yeah. And to be honest, most people don't have the time. And if you want to prioritize your time to get better at triathlon, there's definitely an argument for not doing it and doing swim, bike, run, um, which is probably not what many physios say because they like the idea of, you know, rehab being king. But if if you've got a limited amount of time, you've got to prioritize that. I have no excuse now. So that's the other um, thing that if you've got the time, why not? try and make those little gains we don't know that foam rolling um prevents injuries but if it makes you feel good and it makes you feel better that evening or the next day for the next session then you're going to perform better in the next session that's sort of fact so the psychology of of taking that time out and doing something is definitely worth it in my in my opinion so you mentioned there that you've no excuse now because you have all the time to do it so what does your schedule look like now it is quite varied. Um, I wouldn't say I had a very strict, you know, this is a Monday, this is a Tuesday. Um, it really depends on how I'm feeling that week, what else is going on. Um, but a typical week um, over this sort of lockdown period without any racing um, or travel um, or house moves has been probably like a long bike ride on Monday. So maybe um, three, three hours or something. I might do the first bit of it um, without any carbohydrate. Um, depending on how the session went on Sunday, depending on how I feel, and then a swim. And then Tuesday might be the same or it might be some bike intervals, might do a little run as well. So maybe 40 minutes with maybe sort of 20 minutes and then 10 minutes drills and then a 10 minutes off it. I don't do much running before anyone comments. Um, Wednesday might be a hard run session. So it might be hills or it might be intervals or to be honest at the moment, it's I'm not doing any fast stuff at all because I'm on that sort of borderline of niggles. So I'd probably another gentle run, um, perhaps up to an hour, depending on how I feel. And then Thursday, another bike interval. So I'm maybe doing two bike intervals on the turbo or on the road if it's dry. I like doing my bike intervals when they're really hard on the turbo because I do get a little bit wary about one knowing a good stretch of road to complete the interval I'm quite tunnel visioned when it comes to intervals like I like to get those numbers hit um, and so I find and then safety on the road like if you're going all out I just don't like the idea of that because you just can't be as safe and then Friday is normally slightly easier because then Saturday Sunday I get to train 
properly with Mark, so my husband. So um, Saturday would be like a long brick, so maybe four or five hours with a build, uh, and then maybe 20 to 40 minute run off it. And then that's in preparation for Sunday, which is going to be a long run, so maybe an hour and a half. So it varies, um, but anywhere between 18 and 24 hours is probably normal. I was doing a couple of bigger weeks earlier in the year. I mean, a few, maybe sort of up to 30, I think was my max when I was doing a lot more zone two. Um, so through January and February, I was doing basically all zone two. I didn't, I don't think I did anything other, which was a weird sort of um, training stimulus to start with. But I really feel like, firstly, I now fall in love with it. It's very easy and fun. Um, and you can do lots of volume. Whereas obviously when you're starting to look at racing, it's the intensity. So I'm trying to bring back and over the last month, like I said, of the intervals, I've been doing some 30 to 40 minute race pace intervals and then some tempo runs off the bike quite hard um, and some tempo runs as well, which is a, another first for me. I haven't really done that sort of extended four, four, five K um, times two at the moment. Really simple stuff in terms of tempo running. So quite basic probably for somebody listening who has more experience but there's plenty volume still in it though as well I mean that amount of time is going to make a difference to your performance over time and it's funny a lot of us will look and say zone two we don't like doing zone two because it's slow and steady but actually you can have an awful lot of fun in a zone two training session yeah I think zone two I've I've become a massive preacher um maybe December last year I've been completely different but now I'm completely converted to the idea of um the aerobic base and I'm and I'm a self-confessed nerd in terms of the physiology sort of research I've had way too much time during lockdown to delve into some of the recent science on it um and I really believe firstly there's no such thing as lactic acid and go and google that if anyone has uh, issues with me saying that and I really believe that you can make massive adaptations because we're talking about, you know, a race that's taking eight to 16 hours in terms of aerobic function. So mitochondria working well um, and how many you have in terms of um, where you're doing your training. So if you're, all of your stimulus is down in the zone two, you're able to build up a really good base, get more mitochondria. This is super basic. And then if you do a little bit at the high intensity end, you're making those mitochondria basically work better. If you do too much at the higher end, you you can't actually do the top end stuff. So you do a lot more just below it. And then you just don't get more mitochondria and you don't get the same adaptations. You get sort of a mediocre effect. That's the theory of polarized training in a nutshell. So by I'm, doing that, you reach, a, you reach a higher peak as opposed to if you didn't do the lower base training, you'll never actually achieve that higher peak of, of effort. Yeah, I think so. And if you're not achieving those super high intensity sessions in your training, um, you're then not able to adapt in that sort of super compensation model um, to then perform in racing. But you're also, if you're doing loads and loads of high intensity stuff, you just won't be able to recover as well. So you might be able to physically get it out and do it, but you'll never um, be recovering from those sessions and actually see as much progress through your training either, in theory. But everybody's different. So there's always, you know, there's always a debate there. <laughs> and tell me, what was it like uh, stepping up to the start line of the uh, the time trial last weekend? Because you ha I know you had done the Ironman VR18 race, but this was really racing with people around you and uh, going into a race situation that you hadn't been in for quite a while. So what was that like? It was actually really, it was quite surreal. I took it way too lightheartedly, I think. I'm at the moment, I've sort of developed this mental uh, protection strategy, I think, of it's not happening until I'm 
I'm actually doing it. Um, so, for example, ta- like it's not actually going to happen until I'm there. So with the 100 miler, I didn't look at the race course until the Friday when we were sat in um, Calais waiting to come back on the Euro Tunnel from Italy. Yeah, I, I had a little look at the race beforehand. And then on the start line that morning, I was just very relaxed. It was just a fun day out. I couldn't really believe that we were actually sort of felt a bit surreal. Um, I was really lucky. Uh, well, we were all really lucky that um, there was a good bunch of triathletes there. So we had a nice little natter in the car park beforehand, socially distanced, of course. Um, and yeah, I think everyone was just really excited. And it didn't really matter about other people. For me, it wasn't the competition. It was just about proving to yourself that the training had worked. And that was the ma- that was the main outcome for me, was that actually, yes, you have made some gains over the last six months because Zwift and your power meter only go so far you know, you want to actually see what it means on, you know, in reality. So talk us through the race. You did three hours, 55, 22 for the 100 miles. Talk us through how the race actually went for you. Uh, So the course was um, classic British roads. It was not a time trial testing course, which is normally held on a dual carriageway. I think I counted um, 19 turns and I think six of those were complete 360s, which again, is just a bit abnormal. Like we had a bit few out and backs, but the roads were okay. Uh, there were some significant potholes still um, and traffic. So it was the course itself uh, didn't lend itself to a quick time initially. But me personally, I am a massive heart rate geek. So I knew what I I'm just it's what I used in my Ironman um, in Western Australia. I just stuck to what I know I can hold in training and have real confidence in that that heart rate is a reflection of how my body is physically coping at the time. So I pushed enough to get my heart rate up at the start but not too much and then just really settled into it just really enjoyed riding my bike really fast on like fun straight roads mostly hadn't done any tt work for a couple of weeks uh because i've been out in the mountains and so i had really low expectations but i i had on my little computer i only had um current heart rate current power current speed and how far I travel. So no average power, no, you know, running clock or anything. Um, so I was just thinking about breaking it up into sort of 30, 40 K sections, you know, four times one hour in theory, and just focusing on heart rate. So I just sat at a good heart rate when I felt comfy after about an hour, I was like, right, I can probably push on a little bit. Felt comfy after two hours, right, I'm going to push on a little bit. And then with one hour to go, I was like, I really need to actually work properly, you know, I really need to put some effort in now. And so it was really nice getting to the I think it was about I got to about 100k um had a few shouts of confirmation saying like you're you know you're in the lead and obviously you don't quite know so I took that with a pinch of salt um but that was enough motivation along with the generally feeling quite good that I was like right I'm gonna really push on now and I, I had a massive massive last 40k which was just so much fun but I got off the bike and I well I say I finished the race and I genuinely couldn't get off the bike I've never experienced that before my glutes had completely just ceased to function was that from sitting in the same position for so long yeah I mean I've done lots of I do a lot of my um turbo on the time trial bike I do a lot of my road cycling on the road bike and I know I need to probably do a little bit more on the road on my TT bike so I'm really comfy in my position but just the last two weeks I'd been on the road bike and I think that combined with the long drive back from although I was mostly a passenger back from Italy probably wasn't the best lead up into into it but I think 
if I think if anyone does a four hour relative max effort in the TT position, they're going to be a bit sore. I did make an effort of getting out of the saddle, you know, to stretch off and go up the hills and really work. But yeah, it obviously it was a real a real training stimulus to those glutes. And how did you fuel the body then during that race? So I just used the same strategy for my Ironman. So one of the main, um, it was really the main point of going into this race. One was that it was on my doorstep, 20 minute drive. And two was that I wanted to put down a really good race bike leg and then see what I could then transfer into the Ironman race for the future. So I fueled it exactly as I would an Ironman uh, in theory. Um, So I used my aero frame um sort of elite gel bottle or i think it's a water bottle but i just put gels into that and put a little bit of water into it and then that was it uh and then i took a couple of grabs of water bottles so they you you were doing your own um or your own support team were able to hand you bottles um so yeah i've just had a few grabs of those on the uphills so you're going slower anyway and so it's easier obviously to grab and you don't lose the speed but yeah I I actually if anyone's interested put it all in an Instagram post the other day about carbs and calories and water and a few people ask questions about it. And what about recovery fueling then um, afterwards Kat because um, obviously you've got to go into a week of training again or did you have a week of recovery last week or what did you do? Yeah I had a very quite a hyped few hours after finishing um massive endorphins obviously although the results weren't confirmed for a little bit so I didn't want to get too ahead of myself and then had a massive burger in the pub so that was great recovery yeah I think I had I utilized the idea of um that race being a training session you know every time you're going to do a training session or a stimulus you want to recover as well as you do the training right so I had carbohydrate and protein immediately after the race um, and tried to drink as much as I could but you can never really hydrate I don't think properly had a very relaxed sofa afternoon with the pub of course no alcohol I think that massively affects um, recovery even though it's the first thing you want to do I think it's we decided, well, I decided, You firstly, you often don't feel like it. I waited till Monday night to have a little bit of alcohol. And then, yeah, for me, I, I thought I was going to be fine. I um, thought it was just going to be a hard day out, like one of my bricks I was describing earlier. In theory, it's just four hours of training, so it's like a normal training day for me. But I, it actually really took its toll. Um, I was really tired Monday, Tuesday. Um, so really stepped back from um, training slightly, didn't finish, and my glutes had started giving me some people will know it as something called sciatica, but I'd been getting this sort of deep referred neural pain down through my glute and into my hamstring. And I was a little bit nervous about that because suddenly racing is coming up and, you know, if you're starting to get niggles now after six months of being good, yeah. Um, So I just took that sort of mature response and said, no, I'm just not going to do it. I don't need to prove this to anyone at the moment. You know, I've had a good race. I need to recover properly. And so took a step back, missed a few sessions, got back in the pool. But actually this ha- this week following that TT, I have had a house move as well. So training has been, as always, a priority, but it has had also shared priorities in there as well in terms of admin. So I'm hoping that I'm fully recovered. And I did a little triathlon um, yesterday, actually, so a week afterwards, um, and with no issues. So that's quite nice to just get that tick in the box that, yeah, recovered. Okay, cool. Two week build now. Hopefully Talon. Hopefully Talon. And of course, you were meant to race at Ironman Ireland as well. You had it on the list to race at Ironman Ireland. Do you think, will you come to Ireland next year? Oh, I was so excited. I honestly, It was going to be like my main race of the year. Um, I've been chatting to, you know, local people about accommodation and 
I was, yeah, I was really looking forward to it. Uh, I definitely will, depending on when it's going to be in the year, it is a little bit late for me um, in my head at the moment. I'm hoping that there'll be an Ironman earlier in the year that I can maybe do, I mean, ideally this year, um, to qualify. I really want to get to Pro Kona next year, um, but we shall see. Talent or performance will judge whether I'm worthy of that spot because I just feel like I have got so much to do at Cone. Like I feel I really want to, I I never thought I'd be obsessed with it, um, but I went out to watch it um, this year with my husband who's racing in the age group race and honestly, I was just blown away. It's just an incredible experience. Um, so yeah, if, if I'm on Island fits into that journey, it'd be amazing. And you know, if you look back over your relatively short career in triathlon to date, because it is quite a short time that you've gone from uh, a very solid age grouper to an extremely good professional athlete, what race has been the one that has stood out the most for you in terms of a highlight? That is a challenging question. I I love I genuinely love all of the race experiences I and most everyone I've done I thought yeah I could definitely come back here there's never been races that I'm that I have a real negative experience of I don't like races that have uh unmatted transition areas that's a lesson learnt. um and if I'm honest the the luxury of traveling to Australia in Bustleton just south of Perth it's only a 16-hour flight from London um we just seemed to recover really well from that long haul it wasn't that bad you could get up throughout and you could race and the racking was up maybe a week before the event the the sea is crystal clear you know there's so many it but it's you know it's it's australia it's going to be amazing but genuinely when i actually it was only a f- um, couple of weeks after i met my husband uh he raced in uh 70.3 dublin was it dunleer dunleer yeah Don Leary. That was my first experience of any Ironman event. I'd never seen or been to anything like it. And it was incredible. He said he wasn't a fan of the speed humps, but the park run, the atmosphere, the seafront start. I did a little long run to see him start, which he wasn't expecting. And I got like this most beautiful sunrise across the coast. So, yeah, dreamy island. So what has been the highlight so far? Because I know you are the ETU middle distance champ in 2019 and that was a big honour to put on the Team GB jersey and and to win that race um, as well. So would that be the highlight of your career today, do you think? Or is there any other race that stands out for you personally? Um, That was a lovely title to win. Um, and to wear the GB kit for the first time was incredible. Um, it definitely made made the whole experience really great. There were so many GB age group um, races as well out in Romania, and everyone was just so friendly and so keen and so supportive um, to each other. Amazing. So that was that whole race experience. But in terms of my own performance, I think it would be tied between Nice, the world champ, 7.3s, uh, where I came 16th, um, which exceeded my expectation beyond belief, and also my first Ironman. So because I I think I was just slightly off the fastest ever like record books uh, British debut or something like that. So uh, that was quite cool. Um, and to go sub nine on my first Ironman was just like I I just paced it really well, and you just don't hit like that doesn't happen. So again, I was just like 
well, that's cool. What else can I do? You know, how far can I go now? So it's just exciting. It, it, it's it's very exciting. And you're very humble as well in how you're telling me the story about all these things because they're incredible performances. Like there's athletes out there that have never had those performances that you've had. And yet you're you're already smashing your your own goals out of the park with some of those results. It must be very um, exciting to think about getting back to racing now post-COVID and just seeing what you can do, especially off the back of the 100 mile time trial last week as well. Yeah. That 100 mile time trial has given me real confidence because I was really nervous because I had a whole new, I've got a whole new bike set up because I've joined the BMC um, VFIT Pro Triathlon team. And even though logic says that that, you know, the bike and all of your equipment is top of the range, you know, best there is out there. I didn't know how I was going to perform on it. I didn't know how I felt about my bike fit. I didn't know how, um, you know, how the bike would handle properly in a race. And to get that result on that bike in a new position, I am, yeah, really excited. Plus, my running is genuinely better than it's ever been. So if I can stay niggle free for another month or so, um, yeah, I'm really excited. And then the aspect of being on the team as well must be different because a lot of triathletes are part of a club and they'll train with their club mates. But it's different than when you're part of the team and such a team that's got a stellar lineup of athletes in it as well. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't believe it. Um, the opportunity came up and yeah, it just incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Um, the team aspect of it, we get together in theory, you know, ignore COVID um, January and May for training camps. Um, so I got two weeks out in Lanzarote with the team in January, which was just eye opening into the world of the other athletes on the team and, and their mentality. They're just their professionalism, their training ethos um, and the support that you're given. It, it just, yeah, it is truly professional sport, which is just another, you know, a game changer. And in terms of the kid and equipment, I you know, I couldn't ask for more. So I feel like I've got this privilege, you know, an opportunity now that I just want to absolutely capitalise on and, you know, make, utilise all of those positivities. And therefore, I have that sort of, like you said about a coach, the accountability, like that is a positive pressure that I then want to match and say, yes, I can live up to your expectation and exceed it as well. And I think I've definitely always been one to sort of thrive a little bit on that pressure, even though I naturally I'm quite nervous and worried about things I over I definitely over analyze a lot of stuff I definitely try and sort of step up you know in terms of yes I can do this yes I can do this so yeah the team aspect um Emma and Chelsea are dreamy and so supportive and genuine like, like I consider them friends and the guys obviously just yeah amazing athletes and it's just great to be part of something bigger than yourself and actually it's not my first experience of that so the army has that as well where you're not just doing triathlon for your yourself it's always about the bigger picture like always about the team that you're trying to support and your morals as an athlete rather than just you 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 and I think definitely now doing sport full-time you can start to see how people can become quite selfish in in the sport whereas actually triathlon you know part of it is being part of a team and enjoying it with other people and yeah so the pro pro team side of that is brilliant and because you get to share those experiences and wear the same kit and for me my club like within the army it is just so supportive everyone's so keen and they want you to do well and while you're representing the army and and the same for anybody in a tri club it's all about you know making making friends and just enjoying the sport I think people lose sight of that sometimes and are you proud of what you've achieved so far Kat yes uh so 
being proud of something is definitely really close to my heart. I think that's been ingrained, like one of those morals in me, uh, definitely an, at an early age. And I always think if if I'm trying to consider, should I do this? Should I not? It's will I look back on this and be happy that I made that decision, like proud of that decision and proud of the effort I put in. And that really motivates me. So that's definitely one of my sort of semi self mantras or whatever over this last six months is I want to look back and be proud of how I handled that situation and the effort that I put in, even if it's not 100% happy that if I put in 95%, that that 5% then transverse to me being happy at the same time as being fit and if you could win any race in the world as a professional athlete what would it be is that a trick question no (laughs) no well I'm like I said I've I've become a convert there's no way you there's no way any professional would turn down the opportunity to pick Kona at this point um but I am really excited to see how Challenge copes with um, and Matt, you know, partners up and we progress with the PTO because at the moment they're, again, they're, they're, they're doing everything they're saying. So the idea obviously behind the PTO, the Professional Triathletes Organization, is that we're, we're trying to just increase the awareness of and media of triathlon, you know, worldwide. Like, in the bubble of triathlon, we know it and it's massive. It, it fills our Instagram and our Facebook but outside of that, we don't often see, you know, the television side of things. And I think there's so much to offer from the sport and how that would then translate to the opportunities that, you know, everybody at the amateur and the age group level would get is massive. You know, if we're not having to charge crazy money, you know, there's just so there's so much opportunity for the sport. So in the future, I think that there will be some big races that won't necessarily be Kona. And short term, there's also this Challenge Daytona in December, which I, even though I'm not technically in the rankings for an automatic qualification, I think there's enough people who aren't racing for that to bump up. So I am relatively confident that that could be a race that I will qualify for. And that looks crazy, you know, doing a race around a like a speed strip or, you know, it's just, it's cool. If we get the fun bit, back in triathlon it'd be good it's a very exciting time covid aside it's a very exciting time for athletes both professional and age groupers and kat i suppose having come through the age group rank yourself and done so well and then moved to the pro side of things is there any advice that you'd give to an age group athlete who's doing really well who's considering the jump to becoming an elite or a professional triathlete yes there is and it no way should ever sound patronizing Um, so it's just meant heartedly is that if you're good enough to race at that professional level you will know and it shouldn't necessarily be a hard decision if you're getting the results that you need to get your British license because the British triathlon hold that license very highly you know in esteem if you've got the results then give it a go but don't necessarily jump too early so I think that if you're if you're in that point of considering it just try and be the best amateur you can be because it's likely that you're still working a full-time job. Why rush to the professional ranks? It's definitely not as shiny as it looks. And if you're um, performing and you're winning your age group, like look at Ruth Astle, you know, winning Kona as an age group, but overall that is massive. So I would say just be the best amateur you can be while you've got a full-time job. And if you get the opportunity to reduce your hours at you know, doing a full-time job, that's when you start to look at the professional ranks, perhaps. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Um, 
I think it's about time. I think if you're going to commit to professional sport, you've got to look at the bigger picture and what professional sport is, you know, about rather than just I'm going to be a pro. Um, if that makes sense. And one final question, Kat. What fuels your passion for triathlon? Oh, um, I love it. I love everything about the like geekiness of it. So not just physically going out. I don't like swimming that much, but biking and running. But also the physiology, like I love learning about heart rate. I love looking at aerodynamics. I love looking at power and stats and the lifestyle of being fit and healthy. I think if you can fit that into your sort of daily life and be healthy and happy, especially at the moment, like, you know, as long as you're not crazy, I don't know, overdoing it. I think most triathletes are probably in the best position for this virus. Uh so yeah, being healthy and happy. But for me at the moment, it's being the best I can physically be. So because I'm seeing gains every month, really, it's really easy to see that effort in is results, you know, outcome. And so while that still maintains as the more I put into it, the better I get out of it. That's a really easy place to be in terms of motivation. So I'm very lucky in that respect. So yeah, I, I want to top 10 at Kona and having come 16th, in Nice last year off the back of a few months of full-time training I want to get to Kona but I also want to be very competitive there so at the moment I've got this crazy big goal that I've set myself and I've set other big goals in the past and I've just achieved them so in my head I'm like okay well why not set another ridiculous one and see where it goes well hopefully it brings you all the way to a big dance down the red carpet in Kona in 2021 thank you so much for joining me today that was a great chat and uh, best of luck with all the rest of your training and with your race in Estonia and fingers crossed that does go ahead for you thanks very much Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in to our Try Talking Sport Facebook page on a Tuesday night at 8.30 for live videos and live interviews with some very inspiring athletes, adventurers and endurance enthusiasts. Now, I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by and say hi and let me know what you think of the show. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both impressed and inspired by our guests. Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe and thanks for tuning in.